there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Why is self-observation so difficult, yet it seems so easy, as if we're all doing it all the time? Have <laughs> you ever noticed that? It's just amazing to me. There are a number of stumbling blocks that hinder us, but there's one chief among them all. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, it reads, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, because we're not fluent in the language of esoteric parables, we take this literally and come away confused, befuddled, not understanding, or worse. What's worse than not understanding? Misunderstanding. We do that very well as well. Earth, in this parable, it says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Earth is man in his current condition. That's us. You are earth in your current condition. That's what we're represented by in these parables, earth. Earth is man in his current condition, undeveloped, asleep, proud, vain, in imagination, infested with negative emotions, violent, and in denial about all of it. Just like the outer earth, if you want to know what you are like, what we are like, just look at the earth. Look at the earth. Look at anything on the earth. Look at just the animal kingdom. It's an incredibly violent place. You know, you, you take kids to, to see a film, and it's like, even in the film animated thing, Happy Feet, everything's trying to eat everything. We're beginning to face it. We're beginning to face the fact that everything's trying to eat everything else. Everything's eating something. Everything is looking at you like food, and you're looking at everything like food, or darn near everything. So you look at the earth, the law of the jungle, you look at what people are doing, you look at the wars. Connie calls me up yesterday and she said, how do you call the police from a cell phone? And I, What's the matter? <laughs> 911, well, it's not an emergency. Okay, well, wh let me look up the number for you. Diana came back to her car and somebody had smashed the window and taken her purse and had all of her credit cards and her driver's license and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, of course, my first reaction was, why do you leave your purse in plain view in a car and then lock it and go away? I mean, that's just an invitation. Why not just leave a gold bar on the seat and invite somebody? Hey, look, all you have to do is break the window to get this, okay? So that, of course, is my first reaction. Is like, darn, why do you do things like that? And, of course, like, we all know the answer to that, don't we? We're asleep. We just don't think. We don't expect that. We don't think anything like that's going to happen. And if we do think something like that's going to happen, then we go too far the other way, don't we? We become paranoid, we become suspicious, we become negative about everything and everybody. And that's not worth it either. So it's a matter of taking proper precautions, but in order to do that, you have to be awake. That's what the earth is like. There are some places you can leave your doors unlocked on this earth, and there are other places where you cannot, and that's the reality of it here. And that's the reality of our lives, and that's the reality of us. There's some places where we're safe inside, and there's some places where we're not safe inside. An object of self-observation is to make us feel our own existence. Amazingly, to those living in imagination, that would be us, this appears absurd. What do you mean? feel our own existence. Of course I feel my own existence. I think, therefore I am. I know I'm here. I'm sitting right here. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I know my own existence. But the truth is, is we don't. We're asleep to our own existence. 
and that's how come we can leave a purse in a car and then walk away, lock the car, walk away, and then have somebody come and break the window. Not only do we lose the purse, now we lose the window as well. If there was nothing in plain view for somebody to come and break the window for, you'd still have your window, you'd still have your purse. Will we remember this? No. Yeah. We all say now. Well, yeah, I'll remember it now. But you do forget again. You do go back to sleep. Our feeling of our own existence right now is in the body. It's not in something more real. It's not in something more lasting, something eternal, something more powerful. It's in the body, in this transitory, changing, aging thing. It inherits all kinds of problems. And that's where our own existence, our feeling of our own existence is, in the body. So when the work says an object of self-observation is to make us feel our own existence, I promise you it doesn't mean to feel your own existence in your body. Although it does start there. It starts by you realizing that you do have a body and that you are in it. Because until you can realize that you do have a body and you are in it, you're completely identified with it. And as long as you're completely identified with the body, you're going to feel your existence as the body. And that's all you'll be. The body is a machine. And our feeling of I, our existence, has entered into it. And it's become imprisoned there. We're stuck in this body. And people don't know how to get out of it. People don't know what to do about that. If they have a pain, then they have to do something about it. You remember when you did Vipassana and you sat there for 10 hours a day for 10 days and you didn't talk and you didn't look at people and you didn't read and you didn't write and you didn't listen to music and you didn't do anything except meditate. You learned to be in your body and you learned that there was a tremendous amount of discomfort with actually being in the body, didn't you? In fact, it was painful to just sit is a very painful thing. And so we don't really even have our existence in the body. But when we learned to have our existence in the body and learned how painful it was to be in the body, then we also had to learn equanimity. We had to learn that they were just sensations and not to identify with them and not to go with them and that they didn't have to run us and that we were bigger than those things and that we could simply see them in another way. I can't go into the whole thing about what it's like because that would take, well, 10 days, wouldn't it? But the body's a machine and here we are imprisoned in it. There's more hope for us than a machine because we can become conscious. A machine can't become conscious. We can. So there's more hope for us. Unfortunately, unless we observe ourselves, we won't become conscious. We'll remain asleep, repeating the same things. And the sad part is, is we'll be repeating the same things without knowing that we're doing it. For example, I say, well, will you do that again? Will you leave your purse in the car in plain sight and lock it? No, I won't do that again. You're so sure. You're so sure that you're awake. You're so sure that you're going to be awake. You're so sure. You're so certain that, no, I've learned my lesson. I'm going to be awake now for the rest of my life about that thing. And I promise you, you will not be. But you will have to find that out for yourself because this is self-development. And no one will convince you because your imagination satisfies every single center. And this is how we remain asleep. Do we observe ourselves? Well, no, not really. Without building some work memory, we'll never see our own mechanicalness. You've got to build some work memory. And the only way to build work memory is to properly observe yourself. And the only way to properly observe yourself is to do it now, to learn how to do it and then to do it, to do it right now, right now, right now, and right now, to set times during the day where you will absolutely do it no matter what. Just like there are some people who've set up a meditation practice and there are certain times that they're going to meditate, absolutely going to meditate, no matter what. Okay, so maybe not a lot of people, but I know one 
I know one person who is going to meditate every single day before he does anything else. And he's proved that by doing it for years and years and years. And then I know one person who is going to meditate another time for an hour during the day, sometime between when he gets up in the morning and when he goes to bed at night. And he's done that for years and years and years. So I know there are people who can do it. I know there are people who do it. And they're normal people, just regular people. So it can be done. But without building work memory, just in the same way that we build a meditation practice or that we build any kind of practice, we'll never see our own mechanicalness. We'll never see that as we are, we're mere machines. Astoundingly, many people believe that by observing themselves, they can either stop or change what they observe. Every single person in this room thought that. Every single person in this room thought, well, I've observed it. I've seen that I'm negative about that, so now I can stop it. And then they found themselves being negative in the same situation again and had no control over themselves at all. Could not stop it. The machine was running away with them. And there was nothing they could do except observe it in horror. Do you remember the first time that you saw yourself acting violently or saying something or being in an argument or saying something to someone, being nasty, and there was nothing you could do about it? You were like watching it from this place inside of yourself in horror as your mouth just went or as the thoughts just went or as the emotions just went. And there was nothing you could do about it. Just watch in horror. Instantaneous results are impossible. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. But continual self-observation gradually, slowly makes you more aware and begins to form in you work memory. Work memory is the memory that you develop when you're a little more conscious. And let's face it, if you're a little more conscious, your memory is going to be better and what you remember is going to be better because you're going to see things more objectively, more consciously. This is why self-observation needs to be uncritical. The light of consciousness gradually reveals, it doesn't criticize it reveals, showing us how far we are from proper self-observation. Look, if you want to know how far you are from proper self-observation, look at how much you criticize what you see. Not just in yourself, everywhere. If you find a critical eye in you that has something to say about everything and everyone and every situation all the time, there you have it. That's going to run over into everything that you think, say, and do. That's going to run over into your work. It must be dealt with. So, proper self-observation doesn't criticize. It's going to take a long time before the ray of light that we let in will affect any inner change, and maybe even longer before we or others recognize the change. Now, at first, we jump right on it. Oh, yes, I've changed. And then, as we keep on observing, we find not only have we not changed, but we seem to have gotten worse and worse and worse until we finally get to the point where we realize that we've got to stop identifying or else we're going to sink. It's like holding on to an anchor that's going to the bottom of the sea. You realize if you keep hanging on to this anchor, you're going to end up drowning in the bottom of the sea. But if you let it go, you have a chance of getting back to the surface where you can get some air. That's what separation is like. You have to let go of this stuff that you're observing or else it's going to drag you down. And again, it takes painful experiences for us to get this. And it takes a long time for us to get this. It doesn't just happen because someone said so. Okay, here's a tip. When you get to railroads, stop, look, and listen. Now, how many people get killed by trains? How many cars hit by trains? Plenty. Why? Because that simple thing that everybody knows, people forgot to do. Why? Because they were asleep. Because they take things for granted. Because the train never comes by here. 
Because, well, if there was a train, there would be signals and sound. Well, that didn't work. All of these things that we depend on, rather than depending on our own ability to observe, to stop, to look, to listen. People think when they observe in the moment that they're negative, that it will make it impossible to become negative about that again. <laughs> I just think this is hilarious. Yes, well, I say I'm negative. So that's it. You're not going to do that again, are you? And then you find yourself doing the exact same thing again. What a laugh that is. And yet, it's what we imagine we're going to do. We have a core hatred of feeling that we're machines. Deep down inside of us, we just absolutely hate this idea that we're machines. We take ourselves as conscious in everything. Everything. There's nothing that we're not conscious about. And even when we're unconscious for a moment and we catch ourselves in the unconsciousness, then we give ourselves a gold star for catching ourselves being unconscious and how conscious we are. People balk at the idea of being a machine, the concept, the suggestion that they're machines, not properly conscious. And they become highly agitated when pressed about it. Agitated, incidentally, is negative. It's a negative emotion. If you're agitated, you're experiencing a negative emotion. If you're suspicious, you're experiencing a negative emotion. If you're paranoid, fearful, you're experiencing a negative emotion. If you're angry, obviously, you're experiencing a negative emotion. We've got most of them down, but the subtle ones we don't. The subtle ones we just put a different label on. Oh, no, that's not a negative emotion. That's just being wise. That's just being observant. That's just being clever. Pardon? Being right. Yeah, or just being right, yeah. It's only when we begin, through proper self-observation, to see for ourselves that we automatically behave the same way over and over, that the great shock of realization begins to dawn on us. I remember one time before I learned not to say anything to anyone about the work, I wrote something in, about us being machines in a forum that people were not prepared to hear things like that. And this one woman got really upset. I mean, really upset. I'm not a machine. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, just really angry. Or, if you prefer the work terminology, she got really negative about it, insisting that she was not a machine insisting that she was properly conscious, insisting that even the suggestion was wrong. And I thought, wow, why is this so hard for people to see? And it's because they have not seen it. It's so hard to see because we don't think it's there. Do you remember in that film, What the Bleep Do We Know? They talked about the American Indians or the indigenous, maybe they weren't American, well, I guess they were in the Americas, whether it was here or, or Central or South America, it was the Americas. The indigenous people, when the Spaniards got here and, and arrived in boats, big ships, they, well, of course, we call them big ships now. But they weren't canoes, but they really weren't that big. If you ever look at the size of the boats that Columbus brought over, they weren't very big at all. They were usually like, oh, my God, people crossed the ocean in that? It's really scary when you think about it. These people were incredible, just incredible to do something like that. Anyway. The indigenous people could not, actually literally could not see the boats because there was no such thing. Does anybody remember the story? And there was one holy man or one guy who actually could see. And then he pointed it out to the rest of them. And then once the Spaniards got out of the big boat into small boats, then they could see them because they could see small boats, but they couldn't see big boats. Now, we listen to this and we go, no way, no way. But trust me when I say way. There are things that you do not see about yourself. You cannot see about yourself because you believe they do not exist. And you cannot see them. Other people can see them, but you can't see them. And to try and convince you will make you very, very negative. 
It makes people very violent and negative if they're pushed to see something that they can't see. That's the whole point of being a machine. People react so poorly to it because they can't see it. They're just not prepared to see it. It's just not there. So what do we do? We talk about it. At first, we talk about it. We talk about our mechanicalness. We find examples of our mechanicalness. And then maybe we see in one little thing how we're mechanical. And then maybe that extrapolates to another thing and to another thing and to another thing. And one thing leads to another until we start to begin to understand that we are indeed mechanical, that we are really machines, that we are machines that are reacting to the events and the things that are happening in life. And we're doing it unconsciously, even though we imagine that we're conscious about it. It is a huge shock. In the beginning, it doesn't help much to hear we weren't born machines but became machines without knowing it. It doesn't help much. It's like, okay, you're a machine, but you weren't born a machine. Well, whoopee-doo. You know, so now somebody else did it to me. I knew I hated those people for a reason. I knew they weren't my friends. And then you're negative again. And there's no profit in that. Not for you, not for self-development. It may be fun to blame other people. It may be fun to blow off steam. It may be fun to break glass or a dish or something. It may be fun to punch a wall, punch a hole in something. I mean, I've seen people do it. So obviously they thought it was a good idea at the time. It's when we begin to see for ourselves that everything that we do, all that we think, all that we say, and everything that we feel is the work of the machine in us. So that's when we start to hate being a machine. That's when we start to wish to be different. So if I introduce this idea of being a machine to someone, they insist they're not a machine and they're offended. But give that person a little bit of self-observation, an opportunity to see it in someone else first. Point out someone else's mechanicalness. Oh yes, well they're a machine. So then you do admit that people could be machines. Yes, that people can be, but I'm not. I'm conscious. Well, isn't it even possible that maybe there's some area of your life where you're not fully conscious? Oh yeah, well there's, I guess it's possible. Well, would it be hoove you? Would it be a good idea for you to find that area, to observe that area? Well, I don't think so. Why would it? I'm doing just fine. So you have to have this discontent. You have to get to this place where something isn't right, where you've come to the place of a good householder, where you realize that, okay, I'm doing everything that I, that I need to be doing. I'm doing everything the way it's supposed to be done, and yet life is not satisfying me. I have everything that I'm supposed to have, and yet I'm not completely satisfied. This is not working. This divine discontent, as it were, is exactly the thing that helps to lead us out of this. It's exactly the thing that helps us to look at ourselves, to observe ourselves properly, or to begin to try and find out how to observe ourselves properly, and to find why it is that we're not satisfied, why it is that nothing in this world completes us. When we begin to loathe what we have become, when we see how wrong we are, how asleep, how mechanical force energy begins to enter us. When we see how mechanical we are, that's when force and energy begins to enter us. When we see how asleep we are, when we start to really loathe it, when we realize this is no way to live life, that, just that point right there, that's when energy starts to come in. It's like breaking the seal. It's like we are hermetically sealed. Victims, we've said before, are hermetically sealed. A victim can only stop being a victim from the inside. Nothing out there can ever convince a victim, someone who is being a victim, someone who has a mindset or grounded being as, as victim. Nothing out there can ever convince them. It has to be something that happens in here. This is probably the greatest example of self-development there is.
the idea of being a victim. When someone's a victim, everybody else is to blame, and there's absolutely no hope for that person. No hope whatsoever, because they are completely, absolutely at the effect of everyone else and justified in it. You can hear them. You can see them. You can read about them. You can see them on television and on the radio. You can hear them on the radio. You can see people everywhere you go who are committed to being victims. Don't be one of them. If you are one of them, get out of it. The only way out of it is you have to get out of it. And one of the things is to start to see your mechanicalness, to start to observe just these little things that you are asleep, that you're mechanical, that you're being run by life. When you really see it, you will begin to hate it. You'll begin to loathe it. You'll begin to issue it. That's when the force will enter you. That's when energy will enter you. That's when change is possible. The depression that follows the realization that we've been behaving mechanically, like machines, driven by life events, for years and years at first is crushing. It's so depressing. I remember the big, the big realization for me. I remember sitting, it was a conscious moment. I remember sitting out on the front porch of the house I'm living in and all of a sudden realizing there was no reason to live, that I was absolutely not alive. I was not alive. That this whole thing, that my whole life had been wrong, that my whole life had been passed pretty much in sleep that my whole life was about this acquired thing that I acquired all through life, and it was this huge monster that ran me, that controlled me, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I remember being so depressed and so broken, I just cried. And I could not be consoled. I remember Connie coming and saying, well, blah, 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 and it didn't do any good at all, because I knew the truth, and nothing that anyone else said was going to change that. I had seen for myself that I was a machine. I had seen for myself that I was all wrong. I had seen for myself that I had blown it, that my life had been pretty much wasted. It was crushing. It was so depressing, it was crushing. Now, some people have had that experience. Some people have not. Some people have it in varying degrees. Some people don't get it all at once. Some people get it piecemeal, a little here and a little there. Me, you know, it's like when, when I did the 10-day, did four of them in five months. I had to really get it all right now. So some of us are like that. That doesn't make us better than anybody else. It just means that that's what kind of machine we are. And then there's these other machines who just do it a little bit at a time. And that's fine too. The important thing is that we do it. The important thing is that we realize. The important thing is we come to that crushing realization that we're machines driven by life, that events control us. And events are not controlled by us or anyone else. Events just happen the only way that they can happen. Only then does change become possible. Only then do we begin to sober to the reality of our condition. Only then does change become even remotely possible for us. And it doesn't come in a hurry. You know, you just don't change like that. Oh, I saw I was negative. Now I'm not going to be negative in that anymore. Oh, yes, you will. You will. The self-love weakens at this point just a little and it lets some force past its defenses. The self-love is like a phalanx. It's like an army. It's like a wall that won't let anything come through. Little by little, the shackles of self-love are loosened, making just a tiny little bit of movement possible for us. But just a little movement is all that it takes to get this going. You don't have to be able to change the world. You don't have to be able to change yourself overnight. You don't even have to be able to change being negative in general. Just change being negative in one area with one person one time. Just stop your mouth one time and then look to the next time when you can do it.
and then looks to the next time you can do it. This is all done slowly, gradually. Don't expect it to all happen, bam, like that. It won't. You'll just get yourself in a funk if you do that. Though our condition is dire, it becomes possible for us to free ourselves from being imprisoned in a machine. You really need to see yourself, you know, we need the jaws of life. It's like we've been in this car wreck of life and we're trapped in it. So here comes the fire department and they got these jaws of life. And what they do is they put it in there, they start it up and then these jaws, the hydraulics of it just pulls the door open or pulls it apart and so that we, they can actually get us out. And that's pretty much how we are. We're in this machine and, and we're trapped in here. And we're unable to move, we're unable to help ourselves and save ourselves. But recognizing where we are and what the situation is through proper self-observation brings down help. It brings the fire department and the jaws of life, if you will, in the form of the work. Or whatever form you wish it to take. Maybe not that you wish it to take, but whatever form you wish to call it. It comes from above. It comes from the conscious circle of humanity. It comes from people who are more conscious. And once we get ourselves in a position where we can receive that help, then it will come. What steps can we take to remove the great stumbling block of self-love? Because that is what the stumbling block is. I've looked at this and looked at this and looked at this. The great stumbling block for us is self-love. It's just a killer. It's a monster. Learn what it means to be mechanical. Observe your most mechanical eyes. You'll find they live in the most mechanical parts of centers. Which centers? Mostly the moving parts of centers that can operate easily without awareness. Talking, walking, driving, all of the things that can operate easily without a lot of awareness. Came in this morning, so yesterday we had one who locked her purse in her car and had the window broken and the purse stolen. Today we have someone wandering around looking for their keys because they can't find their keys. Why? Well, because you're not properly conscious. That's why. And you know that. You know you're not properly conscious, but what are you doing about it? Well, nothing until I have to. Well, nothing until I lose my keys. And then I'm going, oh, I'm not properly conscious. Why don't I stay awake? Why don't I pay attention? I know I had them when I came in. Well, if you know you had them when you came in, why were you out there looking for them? I mean, I always want to know this. If you know you had your keys, I know I had my keys when I came in the house, then why did you go out to your car looking for them? Because you didn't know. But we say we know, and we don't know. And so the first thing to realize is that when you're talking, you're being mechanical. Why? It's a moving center. Blah, 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 blah. It takes a lot of effort to be conscious when you're talking. A lot of effort. So I suggest you don't start there. I suggest you start with something easy, like opening and closing the door. You remember that one? And it's not that easy. But start with something easy, like opening and closing the door. Start with something easy, like when you go to the sink, do this or do that. Start with something easy, like when you go to brush your teeth, do something consciously. Don't do it the way you've always done it. Do some movement consciously. Make, pick some movement and do it consciously. Do it with awareness. You'll notice that it slows down. When I first started to try and be conscious when I talked, it was horrible. I thought I'd become a stutterer. There would be these long pauses right there. I... I... Uh... Well, and because, well, like that. Or I would, just not, I would just be able to stop and not say anything. But there would just be this long pause. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm thinking. Thinking about how I could possibly become conscious of what I'm saying and not just let my mouth run. So 
Learn what it means to be mechanical. Observe your most mechanical eyes. Like I said, they operate easily without awareness in, in the moving parts. If you're talking, walking, driving, moving, you're more inclined to be in mechanical eyes. That's how it is. So notice that. Go after that. Notice them. And rather than notice them and then move on to something else, keep on noticing that one over and over and over again until you know it like the back of your hand. Know them by name. Know them by sight. Know them by feel. Know them by the way they smell. Know them by the way, you know how when you go someplace where it rains and you can smell rain before it gets there? That's how you can be with mechanical eyes. You can smell them before they get there. You can smell that the atmosphere is the kind of atmosphere that mechanical eyes come out in. Just like when it rains, frogs come out. Just like when it rains in Florida, toads would come out. And they'd be everywhere. They'd be everywhere, all over the place. When it rains, know that there are going to be mechanical eyes that come out. So when you are in moving centers, whatever the moving center is, any moving center, any small moving part of a center, whenever you're in it, whenever you're in the moving part of yourself, know that mechanical eyes are present. They're waiting. They're lurking. They're active. Know that and look for them. Notice them. As you do, something will gradually begin to change inside of you. You'll find yourself strangely freer and able to stop behaviors over which you previously had no control whatsoever. Not a lot. Don't expect a lot. But expect something. Expect that this work does work. Expect that if you make conscious effort, you will be benefited. You will be rewarded. You will. Something will happen. There will be a payoff. Self-observation is the sword that, brings, that begins to separate you from what you take as yourself. You remember what we talked about right in the very beginning when I said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, self-observation is that sword and the earth is us. And when we bring self-observation to ourselves, it's at that point that we begin to separate from what we take ourselves to be. And what we take ourselves to be is not what we are. Now, we don't know fully what we are, but we can begin to see what we're not. We can begin to see that all of this that we take as ourselves is not really us. Now, you don't have to see it all at once. Just see a little bit at a time. That's what this work is about. It's not about instantaneous change. There are huge stumbling blocks, the biggest one being self-love. And then there are lots and lots of others, lots of others. The sword separates you. The self-observation separates you from what is real. That's right. You're not real. You're a fiction. What you take yourself to be is a fiction. This cannot be said enough until it's seen and understood and accepted as fact. I will say this again and again and again for years because we need to hear it over and over and over again and we need, until, we, until it sinks in, until we actually begin to see it. Morris Nichols said, Maurice Nichols said, Morris Nichols said, everything real leads to real eye. Everything false leads to false personality. And there you have it. So simple. The dislike of being a machine, being mechanical, gives us the force that we need to separate from the false. See your mechanicality. When you see it, you will not like it. When you don't like it, the force will enter you. The energy will enter you and you will be able to change something. The illusion that we're conscious prevents this and keeps us fast asleep. The self-love stands guard over this possible realization like a bear guarding its cubs. This is why we justify all of our behaviors. This is why we must stop justifying ourselves if we hope to develop. You are not going to be able to observe yourself properly if you continue to justify yourself. Let it go. Be wrong. Take the risk. 
of being wrong. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.